Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. All right, guys, we are finally here. It is finally here. The first new episode of Marvel TV for 2022, and we got a doozy of a Moon Knight episode to discuss. So, of course, as we always do, we're going to talk about all the things we liked, what we didn't like, where we think the show is going. And to start it off, as usual, Katie's going to take it away. All right. So I want to start off by saying I think the show is great so far. Um, I thought out of all the shows, it had a very, very strong introduction. And obviously, we can look into that a little further down the road. But now this is the fifth live action show. So I, I'm expecting them to get better. <laughs> um, not that WandaVision didn't have a good one. But, you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think people could agree was a little slow at the beginning. I think we were a lot of us didn't know where Loki was going at the beginning. So I, I think it had a really strong entrance and honestly got pretty right to the point. So I, I was excited about that. As there's so much to say, we'll talk about all of the good things, of course. Um, I will air the one bad thing, since I'm not sure we need to spend the entire time, well, not that we would, but a lot of time, on my one issue. And I I was kind of shocked about this, but we were having some CGI issues, and I'm not sure if I was the only one who was feeling this way. Taylor, I don't know if you had thoughts, but it, 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 was a, it, it wasn't even like the WandaVision, like Wanda flying away from Westview CGI problems. Like it's a car chase and we were having some mega issues with it. Yeah, I wanted to say because Katie texted, so Katie watched it before I did. And I wanted to say that the CGI issues were just because I was looking for them because she had texted me earlier in the day when she was watching it and she was like, the CGI. And I was like, no, like, how is that possible? Right. But then, so I went into it and I was like, don't look for the CGI. Don't look, you know, because like when someone says something and they point it out for you, that's like all you can see. And I was like, oh, it's not bad. And then we got to the car chase and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. And here's the thing. So anybody who's been on Marvel Twitter lately has seen the conversation around Spider-Man No Way Home turn from absolute adoration and it's absolutely perfect to it's too much CGI, and was there any practical effects, and, you know, none of it's real, and blah, 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 blah. So, in light of that conversation, first of all, let me just say this. I still think No Way Home's perfect. But, <laughs> in light of that conversation, I will say there are some times where Marvel may lean too heavily on CGI versus interfacing more with practical effects, and I think we saw that in the car chase. I think the scene that especially I was like, oh, man, and obviously you can't do this as a practical effect— but when they, those two of the goons were being, like, rolled over by the trees, I was like, that was bad. 
Well, even the scene where, like, the cupcake falls off the top of the... Yeah. I was like, why does the cupcake look horrendously fake? Like, <laughs> you can just tell. Yeah, and that's something that could be done in- with practical effects. And so, I think for Marvel, like, it needs to be a learning, because obviously at the beginning, they were using CGI. We're obviously... I mean, we had Loki at the beginning. Like, there was clearly CGI going on. But I think now they've leaned too heavily into... The green screens, the blue screens, the whole thing. And I think they need to find like a happy middle between the practical effect and the CGI because it does in some scenes look incredibly fake. And I we've seen them do better. So I in that sense, I do wish they would kind of find that balance sooner rather than later. No, I agree. And uh, this might just be one of the last things I have to say about it. But it was a little weird because then obviously by the end of the episode, we see him suit up. We'll talk about that soon, I'm sure. But that looked fine. Yeah. You know? And I, I, even the, like, monster thing, it's supposed to look out there. So that didn't even look weird. And I obviously know that's not a person crawling around in a monster suit and on the ceiling and everything. And we've seen car chases before. So I, I was just a little confused on why it looked so astoundingly bad. Like, I think we've talked about in a replay episode how I think it was Cat 1 didn't really age well in some of its CGI, but most of it still was okay. I mean, even Avengers was, I mean, and it was an alien invasion, and you really, like, the CGI was not really a problem in it, and it's a 10-year-old movie, so I was really shocked. Yeah. And this is not to say, like, I'm here to pick apart everything that Marvel comes out with and be like, here's my problems, but I will say that was the only thing bad about this episode was I could not figure out why that the, the CGI just seemed so off. I guess my only thing that I could think of, you know, because I'm immediately when we start talking about car chases, the first movie I think about is Black Widow. Yes. Because they have that epic scene in Brussels, I think it is, where she... No. It's in Budapest, obviously. Duh. That's kind of the whole point. But they have that epic scene in Budapest where they're driving around and they're fighting taskmasters in the tank and all that. And that looks so good. And I think that's because it was actually done on practical effects. We've seen the behind the scenes shots of ScarJo and Florence on the motorcycle, you know, and all that. Yeah. I wonder if it's a COVID thing that they're leaning into the CGI in order to have less people on set. Yes, but I will only counter that with, keep in mind, most of the Phase 4 things at this point have either been in the middle of filming when COVID took place, or they were already, like, COVID had happened. So, like, it was either they were middle of filming, COVID shut everything down, or they were literally born out of the age of COVID. And so I think you can't necessarily give that as an excuse, as especially I think they talk about in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier assembled video of how COVID shut them down. And there were still obvious CGI things needed for that. I mean, Sam doesn't fly. <laughs> Last I checked. So I, I just think like, and even then, it wasn't really the kind of scene that I think would have needed a COVID precaution when you really had people in cars and things such as that. So I don't know. It was it was just a little rough. But like I said, we're not here to pick apart down to the nitty gritty issues. That was just the one thing, literally the one thing that you'll have me complain about from the first episode. Uh, just because I think as Marvel fans, especially after seeing No Way Home, all the Doctor Stranges, I mean, all like Infinity War and all those where you literally have people flying and shooting magic out of their hands and, and everything. Yeah, like I just think we have a higher standard and I'm just here to point that out. 
I'm inclined to agree. That also kind of took me out of it a little bit as well. And which is hard because that was right when we were getting into it, right? So obviously when we first meet, well, I guess he goes by Steven primarily right now. (laughs) When we first meet Steven, it's kind of weird because obviously we see him tied to his bed, the sand around his bed, and he's a little out there. Like you can tell he's just a little bit, I don't even know. And I want to get right into this. He's constantly talking to his mom. Who never is actually on the phone. Yeah. So I I almost wonder, um, <laughs> because I, I've been known to get too far into theories, but I almost wonder if the simple explanation is that it's for him to avoid social interactions that make him uncomfortable. So he's like, oh, you know, I'm leaving a message. And I'm sure he's actually calling, but there is a reason she's not picking up. So I'm very intrigued to understand where that might take us. Yeah, for me, my first thought when he called his mom was, is it really his mom? Because, let me rephrase that. There's one body, right? So whoever gave birth to that body is the mother of the primary person within that body. Stephen thinks he's alone in there. But when the mother gave birth, did she give birth to Stephen or Mark? That's an interesting question <laughs> because we don't actually like, know who the who primary Who does think is. raised him? Yeah. Like, that's where I'm like, I don't understand. And it's not a criticism. I'm just confused. Right. And I'm sure that's something we might get touched on more. I know off of, going off of the predictions episode and some thoughts I had had basing off of that, because it appears that Mark is the altar right now. I'm saying that Steven likely is the one who's been so unaware this whole time and is likely the person who... Or is the main altar of the body, and then Mark is the extension. Can I refute that quickly? Yeah. I actually think the opposite, because Stephen doesn't know what's going on, but Mark does. Like, I'm wondering if Mark is the, like, the person, like, you know, the, what do you call it, the primary altar? I think Mark is the primary altar because he understands he has the disease, or the disorder. Yes, but my caution to that is... He might understand it, but that doesn't mean necessarily anything. Because another altar could just as easily know. Like, you might have been told in that altar stage, like, maybe he did go get it checked out and realized things were weird and figured it out. He's also a mercenary, so there's probably a deeper factor into that. But he might know. Like, it's something that's hard with the idea is someone who you could be totally conscious in one altar go shopping, for example, buy all this stuff, come back home, your altars switch because it can happen very quickly. And you're like, where did all this clothing come from? You know, so you can have full and I think we see this in that episode or in this episode, where you do see him, things are going on. And he's like, I never did this. Like, even when he went back to the fish shop, he was like, I wasn't here yesterday. What are you talking about? Or when he asked the girl out. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's hard to figure out the primary. The only reason I'm, I am leaning towards Steven is because he's so grossly unaware of, like, not even just the other altars, but of everything, like, deeply going on. But at the same time, I don't know. Wait, I want to argue outside. So I don't know because <laughs> because then I have the other side of Mark could have created Steven as an escape from what he is doing. But Mark just didn't strike me as the kind of guy that like feels what he is doing is a traumatic thing. Yeah, I lost sound completely. It wasn't my AirPod. It was just that weird thing that FaceTime does sometimes. Do you have so. one in? Yeah. Okay. I just couldn't see because of your hair. What was I saying? 
Um, I had just said about Mark doesn't really strike me as the kind of guy who might who thinks what he's doing is traumatic. No, I agree. And I think, too, you see Mark asking for control, you know, whether it's Mark or Conchu, like, Mark feels a sense of, like, ownership over the body. And, like, obviously he should. It's his body. But, like, even when Steven's in charge, I think he feels a sense of ownership. Well, and it's interesting because they, they call him, like, oh, the idiot. <laughs> They're like, the idiot's back give it back to Mark. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. So I do almost wonder, like, it's very hard because usually DID comes from a traumatic event and it's usually from childhood. So it's like, are we going to have that sort of backstory? Or what if Mark's mom is dead and that's the traumatic childhood event, but Steven doesn't know. And then he keeps calling the mom. Just that's just a random theory. But like what you said triggered me. And I was like, maybe. I mean, it's possible. For sure. Uh, however, I will say a lot of the time it's a traumatic response, especially to like abuse, because it's a, a something that you can't really escape, where when it happens in childhood, there this other person is almost created for you to escape while something terrible is going on. Of course, I don't know what take they're going to have on this. And I, I do know in the predictions episode, I said, I wonder if possibly Mark... Although, like I just said, I don't know. Mark seems like a very strong personality, so I'm not sure. But I did mention how it's possible that Mark maybe incidentally had created Stephen. This is why I was like, I want to argue both sides because there is an argument for both sides. Trying to almost escape what he is doing as a mercenary. I feel like, and I could be totally wrong, but I feel like in the comics, the DID, I don't know if I've revealed itself as the right word, but the DID kind of took hold after Mark accepted the powers from Khonshu. Like, I feel like that was the catalyst, which seems traumatic enough having a god inside your head. Like, Eric Selvig kind of went into an institution after he had Loki in his head. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I think that might be it. We're definitely going to follow up on the blog to confirm or deny what I just said (laughs) for you guys, but I think that might be it. Yeah, and you know, what I will say, what's interesting is, Steven is definitely the one living the most as the one in the uh, in control because he's holding a job down, you know, he uh, he's like he obviously pays his rent and everything and what I what I do have to say is really interesting is usually I mean I I guess at first but most of the time once you you reach the stage where alters are aware of each other, they're all aware of each other. So I think it's interesting that Steven doesn't know the other alters versus they do. But I also have to point out, this is not going to be a completely accurate representation considering he's talking to Mark in the mirror. <laughs> so Yeah, so if that were to be, like if that were to be actually happening, it would have to be a switch so fast that like, Stephen Mark, Stephen Mark, in, like, in the same way that you and I are having a conversation, like, yeah. in the time it takes for you to react to my comment, it would have to switch alters and then back as I react, like, which isn't impossible, and it could be that they're using the mirror in that way to represent that. I also want to bring up the whole mirror motif, because the fact that they do reflections of everything, they always find Oscar a place where he's reflected and I just think that's so cool and I love that that I hope that that motif keeps going on because it's such a good like physical metaphor about what's happening in his head like the two sides of like his personality like they were are reflections of one another right so I thought that was really interesting just from like a kind of literary visual element yeah and I have to say like 
as I was just kind of saying, we uh, I think to a degree we can take his medical or his mental health disorder slightly on a grain of salt right now, just because, to be fair, too, I think we all laughed at this scene, because I, at least I did, and I'm just saying all because I assume. But <laughs> the scene where, and I don't remember the guy's name, but the cult leader is, you know, there, and he's like, give me the thing. And Stephen very much is trying to hand it over to him, but it's like his own body is fighting him. Is not typically how that would work. So, you know, like I said, there there is going to be a grain of salt with this, especially, too, because we have a mystical aspect. So it's almost hard to be like, how did the trauma come about? How did this develop? How did this... Because it's like, well, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> because they're so aware and unaware of each other. It's very strange. Well, that and we don't necessarily know, like, how you were saying, Ew, you know, DID is traditionally born out of trauma yes in a clinical sense it is yeah does that mean that marvel's going to take the clinical reasoning for this disorder you know and make that the reason the character has it tbd we don't know so that even as you were saying like trying to then go back and identify what his potential trauma might be you know is difficult because you don't even know that that was the trigger yeah i mean i definitely think they might go with something similar enough to that because and this is just obviously from one episode but it's very unlikely that he always had different alters inside of him and especially to my point of you know steven clearly is the one who is in the front the most because or if i take from split which is a terrible example but like how they always call it the one that's in the light and they say they're taking the light from a different altar. So he seems to be the one that's in the light the most, holding down this very steady job enough that people, like, interact with him. His boss clearly knows him. So, I don't know. It's a very interesting thing, and I, I'm I'm interested to see what how they continue this storyline, that aspect of it, now that obviously we see that Steven's aware and he's getting pulled... Now Steven, the last altar, is getting pulled into this chaos, which I think we should get into chaos <laughs> while we're here. Yeah. So let's talk about the mystical and god elements of the show. So the guy who we like to call the cult leader, Ethan Hawke, for those of you who know your actors, he seems to be the embodiment or have been given some sort of power by the god Arit or Amit? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't going to correct on that. I was going to just say, for for conceptual purposes, if y'all read Percy Jackson, just, like, growing up, it's giving very much Luke and Kronos vibes, <laughs> is kind of how I went about it to make my brain understand. But anyway, continue. And I, unfortunately, even though I literally just finished watching the episode, know that I probably got her name wrong. But there's a goddess, and she is... The god, I don't want to say she's the goddess of judgment because I don't know that, but part of what she does is judge your life. But what's interesting is it's not just the life you've led, but the life you will lead. And so what I got from it, and correct me if you got something different, Katie, is that she was kind of trapped because she was punishing people for things that they had not yet done. Right. And so she's kind of the, the judger of souls, if you will. And this Ethan Hawke character is a follower of hers, and he judges people Again, not based on just what they've done or how they're living now, but also what they will do in the future and actually kills them if he deems them unworthy. Right. Which is very interesting and an interesting concept for a main antagonist of a show. I, I thought it was very fascinating. He definitely is already, from at least this episode, very similar to 
Carly from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you can already kind of see where they almost, I don't want to say are sympathetic, but like are at the same time, because he's essentially sitting there saying, are you going to be worth your life? Like, are you genuinely, because like, think about this. I'm sure the judgment goes into play and they're like, okay, well, you know, the scales are doing weird things on his skin and then it makes bad decisions, right? And say the person's been great like that older woman was. Well, maybe she murders someone in the next day. Well, by killing her, that didn't happen. So like you, in a mystical aspect, since I know Carly's was a lot different than that, but in a mystical aspect, you're kind of like, can you almost avoid any, like, any bad person doing any bad thing they're possibly going to do? By judging them, giving them judgment on their life, whether it's been fully lived or not. So it's a, it's almost sympathetic in the case of like, can you stop a murderer? Yeah. Can you stop? I mean, if he did it to Thanos, Thanos would have been dead. <laughs> like, so, you know, it, it is a definitely kind of one of those questions where you're like, I could understand his thought process. I could understand why people follow him, why they want to be judged. Because you go up to him and they and he tells you you're go, you're good. Well, then you can live easy knowing you're not going to do a terrible thing in your life. So I can I can definitely see where he's not one of those villains where you're like like the Red Skull. Like he's not just like not just after power. Yeah, like I'm just here to create chaos. Well, I like you know search for things that give me more power and create just fire for everybody else. So. I, I definitely think he's an interesting villain. And if they keep him on that exact track, it's going to definitely be hard to not understand his cause. Yeah, I think that's a very fair representation. I thought that the first scene with him, I want to understand why he has the glass in his shoes, like why he breaks the cup and then puts the glass in his shoes, like in the first scene. I just want to understand that. Like, I was, like, so intrigued. Like, it's clearly important. It's the first scene of the show. It's the opening scene. I guess that also kind of took me for a ride, the idea that, like, the opening scene of the show wasn't Oscar Isaac. It was actually the bad guy, and he wasn't doing anything inherently evil. You know, we weren't seeing behind his master plan. He was just crunching up a—well, taking a drink, crunching up the glass, and putting the glass in his shoes. I guess I wonder almost if that's what— keeps him like it's his penance for maybe not living as good a life like maybe if he were to judge himself the scales would be tipped but he's chosen like some sort of penance in order to keep them level so that he doesn't die at the hands of the goddess i don't know maybe it's the burden of being her mouthpiece if you will on earth but I'm, I don't know, for whatever reason, the glass makes me very curious. Yeah, it's, it, and I was kind of thinking more like offering kind of idea. But like, obviously, he's not giving anything directly, but more of the idea of like, I quite literally give my comfort and my way of life to you. I'm willing to be uncomfortable and I'm willing to do what you ask of me to continue your message and sounds like he's like essentially trying to raise her which is very interesting (laughs) considering for bigger ramifications what the heck kind of vibe but definitely like my kind of thought was it's it's almost a way of offering and to say like I am fully devoted to you in some way shape or form but as I said it and as I think we're leaning towards one of his interactions with Stephen is when he goes to give him judgment and the scales can't pick. And he looks at him and is just like, there is chaos inside of you. And I know we got into this in the predictions episode. 
And I'm just going to say it again. Chaos is not the type of thing in the MCU directly in it that gets thrown around willy nilly. <laughs> and with the mystical, yeah. And with the mystical aspect of the show, I think we can't overlook the possible connection it could have to some others that are in the MCU. Well, now that we know what his power is or what power he's been given by the goddess is of judgment, it makes me think of the line in the MOM trailer where Wanda says, you do something bad and you become a hero. I do something bad and I become the bad guy because the scales are tipped so heavily in Strange's favor and so out of whack for her. It just makes me think about the whole idea of in the mystical realm, the judgment of right and wrong. Well, I actually really like that you brought that up because (laughs) in my research prior to watching the show, so I know we had this deep dive in our predictions episode and it got me genuinely curious to see, and I like being right, but sometimes we get into like a weird off tangent and it never might, like, it's just like, how did we end up here kind of vibe? Mephisto? Yeah. (laughs) Every once in a while. And so I was like, I kind of just need to know if we're the only ones thinking this or if this has become something maybe other people's people have thought of. So initially my hope went very high because when I was typing it in the search bar, it completed itself. And so you know it's always good when it completes itself. And so of course I searched it and I looked and I was reading an article and it was talking about how it's possible that Moon Knight is tied to chaos magic and two of the other individuals that we know of in the mcu that also are tied to chaos magic are the scarlet witch and dr strange (laughs) so i don't see that as a coincidence at all in my opinion because there really simply aren't coincidences in marvel especially the mcu since in the comics pretty much anything can happen because it has but in the mcu it's very meticulously picked so for that whole idea of the judgment, I think it's interesting because someone who has chaos magic, I think, can tip both ways. And we see that in the definition of who Wanda is. So I think that's why he can't be judged, why Moon Knight can't be judged. Because at the end of the day, yes, he's a mercenary. However, he's killing bad guys. See, I took it the other way. Not not the other way. I took it a different way. The, the idea of the scales, they can't decide. Because to me, in my interpretation, the scales are looking at the body, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the soul within the body. But technically, there are two souls. So Steven has probably never even heard a fly. Like, he loved his one-finned fish, right? Like, that's the kind of person Steven is. It has two now. It has two fins. It's not the same fish. Because Mark went and got new fish. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, he is a good guy. He can't even yell at someone, like, you know, unless he's under massive duress. You have Steven the Innocent, essentially, and then you have Mark the Mercenary. So the scales are like one body, but he kills people in one personality, and he can't hurt a fly in the other. Obviously, it's not going to be able to make a judgment, because how do you kill a body when when it lives on both sides of the line of good and evil? So you took it the logical way, and I took it the, like, magic! I mean, it's (laughs) It's essentially what I got Yeah. No, and it, it could be both at the exact same time, because I think that's actually a really good point that I think probably graced my brain, but didn't really like, I I was like, nah, I like my other one better. But no, that's definitely a good point where it, it, you do have an actual murderer 
but you do also have a very innocent man. So how do you kill the body to punish the murderer when you're also killing the innocent? Yeah, that's very fair. So it's like a very interesting, like ethical dilemma, which I think is why the scales chose not to make a decision. And you know what? I think it is in a trailer. Well, it has to be. We only saw one episode. It's in a trailer. <laughs> I want to get back to talking about the trailers in a second when you finish your thought, because I have something I have something I noticed. Okay. Yeah, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, because I, I also picked up on it, but we'll get there in a second. Yeah. But what's definitely interesting is in the trailers, we have bad guy cult leader, who I apologize, I really don't know his name. I don't think they said his name in the episode. Oh, no, they did. They did. I'm just really bad with names. To be fair, I will just point out, I was making breakfast while watching the show. So, like, small things like people's names just kind of went out the window. I legit finished watching five seconds before we hopped on this call, and I I'm just really bad with names. They are, it's like, I have to watch, like, six movies with a character before I'm like, yes. Yeah. But yeah, so in the trailer, Bad Guy Cult Leader, and we're just gonna call him that for the time being, he says to him, embrace the chaos. And uh, once again, that because first, now he said... There's chaos inside of you. And then the other side of it is embrace the chaos. So I almost wonder, because he's clearly putting together. I I don't know if he's like, oh, you have dissociative identity disorder. (laughs) But he's at least putting together that Stephen very clearly has no idea what is happening. And he obviously knows the other side of Stephen. So I think he's definitely putting together that there is a disconnect inside of him. And without judgment being able to take place, he knows that disconnect affects that. And I think because, obviously, Mark and Moon Knight are a threat to him, he wants Steven to fully embrace that side of him because it means he can judge him and he can kill him. So essentially, Stephen has to die twice. Stephen has to, like, lose the conscious soul that takes over control of the body, and then he wants to kill the, like, he being evil cult leader whose name escapes us, wants to kill the actual physical body that Mark is then in control of, because without Stephen, he can be judged. I like that. Yeah, and I mean... Even in this episode, I don't know if it's Moon Knight or if it's Mark necessarily who said it, but they were like, I think it was Mark when in the bathroom scene. He's like, you can't fight me like you did the other day. I can get us out of this, but you can't fight me. So I think, and I said this in the predictions episode, the likelihood of, and the the best way to treat someone with DID is they need to recognize and acknowledge their alters, and that's how they can start to integrate them. And so... I said this in the predictions episode that the likelihood of that being his trajectory throughout the show is high. And so far, that seems the where we're already going. So in order for everything to work out for Steven, <laughs> he essentially needs to accept what is happening inside of him in order to make it less chaotic, for lack of better words, but also for exactly that word. But in the meantime, doing that might give in to exactly what evil cult leader wants. Interesting thought. I don't know how to react to it quite yet because I feel like I don't have enough information. I will say, though, in the comics, my understanding on a very surface level is that Mark and Steven, and I know there's Jake. I'm assuming Jake is just not going to be in the show. He may come in later, Jake being the third alter. Mm -hmm. We've not seen Jake yet. Maybe he's a surprise guest. But... (laughs) 
Oscar Isaac, one man show. Yeah. I wonder if he's like the middleman between like Stephen and Mark. Like you have Stephen the innocent, Mark the murderer, and then there's just Jake, your average Joe. Yeah. But in the comics, my understanding is that he does kind of keep the DID. There's this one panel I'm thinking of specifically where he's talking to Spider-Man and Spider-Man's like, Mark. And then he's like, no, you've got Steven. And then he's like, okay, Steven. And he's like, oh, back to Mark. And he just kind of goes back and forth and is kind of messing with him as he's like changing alters. So I think that's kind of a central tenet of the character. So I don't know that, you know, maybe it's more acceptance in the sense that they're willing to work together, not that they're kind of converging the alters, but more that there's a sense of control between them, like a willingness for Steven to step back when he knows that like, Mark needs to be in control in this situation. And then Mark's ability to step back and kind of let Steven live his life when they're not, you know, in mortal danger. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I was, I I hope I wasn't too unclear, especially for listeners. The likelihood of converging them and accepting them all together to become one person. I don't, I don't like using it that way, but I don't know because it's not, you really aren't one alter anymore because there aren't others. So, (laughs) but is very difficult and is not a very easy thing to do. So there's definitely, I I think he's on the trajectory of the acceptance of kind of like what you're saying, the acceptance of them working as one pair, understanding that they're there and that they need each other in different ways, but not fighting it. And I think that's going to be the main idea around this. And I, but like I said, I I truly think that aspect is going to be exactly what evil cult leader wants. And it would, it would be a very fitting thing for Marvel to be like, oh, the one thing that you need to do is exactly playing into the hands of the person who needs you to do it. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's time to take it back to the conversation that we kind of hinted at earlier. What I wanted to say, and I think you're probably tracking with me, is I would say 95% of the scenes in the trailer were in the first episode, which means we have absolutely no idea what is happening in the rest of this show. They pulled a Shang-Chi. Yeah, really. I mean, literally... I can think of three scenes in the trailers that were not in this episode. Three. Yeah. I can pretty much agree. I mean, taking out the featured clips, because I think we got two or three of them, taking those out and genuinely only looking at the trailer, I think the main scenes are Moon Knight scenes, when he is suited up, are the ones that really weren't in this episode. Obviously, we only see him suit up at the end. But there's no context to any of those. He's just fighting. No. So, like, clue-wise... We have nothing to go on for the next five episodes. Yeah. I'm not upset about it. I'm just pointing it out. No, yeah, and that's fair. And I and I think that's so perfect because this episode also easily set up what we were getting into. We know our villain. That's not a question. And I think that's been an issue in some of the other shows as well, is you're like, you get to the first episode and you're kind of like, oh, like, okay, taking out <laughs> WandaVision because I think that was like a different idea behind that show so i don't think that that can run the same way but you look at hawkeye you look at loki you look at even the falcon and the winter soldier and from the get-go you're kind of like okay what are we doing like you're kind of just vibing with the first episode because you don't know what's going on yeah no one has any idea we have our villain already we have the premise we have our hero and what one of his main struggles throughout the show is already going to be we are already set up perfectly to be like okay 
we don't need anything else right now because this show is going to give it to us. We don't need the trailer to be like, oh, I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen because we were given everything we needed from the get-go, which I love. I think it was done perfectly. Yeah, I think foundationally, like you said, we have it. So that to me says, all right, you've got the foundation. We're not going to, you know, bring you slowly along like some of the other shows did. They kind of dragged it out. Not to say we didn't love them. You all know how we felt about them. But they were a little on the slow side. The good thing with this is I actually thought the episode was a little bit slow. But I kind of expect that now from the first episode. I think, though, what it did to your point is it got it all done. Whereas, like, something like a Loki was still doing exposition dumps in, like, episode two, episode three. Even Falcon and the Winter Soldier sometimes was kind of like that. I mean, forget the whole Zemo, like subplot which by the way was amazing but like other than that I think there was still so much foundational work being done in later episodes and to your point I think this really got most of it out of the way so that now we can go ahead and fully really jump into like the action and the story and the climax which I think all of that is almost ironic (laughs) considering all of the first four shows were about characters we already knew Versus this show is about a brand new character. And I think the only slow part for me was the very beginning where, you know, you're seeing him at the museum and you're seeing all this and, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Like, and, but you're establishing his life. You're establishing that Steven has a semi-normal life. And I have to say probably a third way of the way into the show, you're already like, oh, we're figuring out who the villain is. Oh, oh, we're, we're seeing him already switch alters. Like, it happened quick. I think the first time that Steven wakes up, <laughs> poor guy, when he's on the ground and his jaw's dislocated. Oh, yeah. He's like, ah. what is happening? That was gross. Yeah, that but was. But I was like, oh, poor Steven. I think that's the scene where it started to pick up for me because yeah. then you have the chase in the city. Then you're, he, you know, he's talking to the villain for the first time. You're getting Conchu's voice in his head. And I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Now we're picking up steam. And I think it did that a lot earlier than some of the other shows. And to your point, was, like, able to, like, lay the foundation, but, like, give us information on Steven, but not necessarily do it in, like, an exposition dump way. Like, I think, here's what it is. This show is showing, not telling. I think some of the other shows were very tell. Like, even Falcon and the Winter Soldier was very, like, let's explain to you the government after the blip. Yeah. And let's explain to you about the refugees. All important things, but they showed, they or they told they didn't show. Yeah. And I think... Part of that, and we talked about this last time, is because those shows are so weighed down by the mythos of the rest of the MCU. Whereas with Moon Knight, they're like, I can just show you this guy's life because you don't need to know how he's related to Captain America or, you know, the Scarlet Witch. This is just Steven living his life until Mark kind of shows up. No, I think that's a very valid take because I think that with the exception of WandaVision, because of how WandaVision was showed, was put together, and also I'm currently rewatching it, so yeah. I definitely like can, yeah, I can definitely kind of attest to it. With the exception of that one, I think the other three are very bogged down. I mean, we have, to your point, what happened with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Loki is just trying to explain time to us for six episodes, and that's just in and general I still don't get is it. like I don't either. And then Hawkeye, a lot of that was dealing with the Ronin issues and the black widow or black widow's death i was gonna say the effect of black widow and all that but which yes to both of those to her death and the effect of her (laughs) Um, and the movie all of it yeah exactly well that's my point exactly so i think this one's great because 
to your point, we don't have any of that. We don't need to be explained any of it. He's just living his good old life. It makes me almost want, <laughs> this is going to be a dumb question and I'm just going to voice it and then everyone can tell me it's stupid. But like the altars are inside of him. And obviously I know people were like snapped at random, but do you think that the altars had an effect on how he was snapped? Or not snapped? If it's a 50-50 shot, what do you do when there's two of you? Like, what are the... I guess I'm asking what are the odds, right? Because you have a 50% chance of being snapped. Half the universe, indiscriminate, 50%. Yeah. What do you do if there's two of you? Does that mean you're twice as likely? Because I was like, it's not physically possible that he, like, could snap be snapped half of his like one of his alters away it's like not physically possible yeah because they're not in control of the body because the body is what physically snaps yeah but i'm also trying to figure out he has the blessing and his moon knight so like how does i don't know it it was like a dumb question that that came to my mind that i was like i feel like i just need to bring this up because if we're talking about endgame I just needed to connect a dot somewhere in there. It's just a question I don't want to talk about. Like, it's a good question. Like, also, if he wasn't snapped, what was Moon Knight doing for five years? Like, now I feel like with every character that's been introduced, now you want to know. Yeah. Were you snapped? What were you doing? How is it different from the pre-snap life that you led? Like, so many questions... Because the universe was split in half. Yeah. Well, since we're talking to... Or we're talking about relating it to some other things. You're going to tell me I'm wrong. And that's okay. But I'm just going to voice this. He's in London. Mm-hmm. So were the Eternals at the beginning or some of them. Correct. I will just point out. I know it had to do with the magic. At least I, I assume. But also the little earthquake thing. Was that in the relation to Mr. Big Thing that's coming out of the earth? <laughs> that's the name is escaping me. Listeners, I just have to give you a picture here. She's like <laughs> pumping her fist like 80s dance style. And she's trying to come up with this word. And I'm just really struggling to keep it together. <laughs> at the current I'm sorry. Moment. I like for the life of me can't think of their name. A celestial? Yes. Thank you. Was that in relation to that? Because that would be really cool if it was to finally be like, oh, yeah. Because remember I brought that up during the Eternals and I was like, did no one else feel the earth shake? (laughs) Like they said the worldwide earthquakes. Correct. But also I'm going to take that as a no because I'm pretty sure it was Khonshu. One. Two. This franchise so far, from what we've heard from... From what the journalists who have seen the first four episodes have said, Mm -hmm. there are no references to the MCU. I highly doubt that if there's going to be any reference to anything MCU related in this show, that they're going to go as deep cut as the Eternals essentially are a deep cut now because they're so far away from everything that's happening kind of the main MCU. Like, they're not going to choose a deep cut over somebody more mainstream. Well, I logically knew it wasn't that, but I also was like, it'd be interesting because it's not really like a, oh, Captain America, oh, this happened. Like, there wasn't a reference, like, you know, it wasn't like a, a throwaway line or something of that nature. And like I said, when I first watched it, I totally was like, oh, okay, like, it's the mystical, like, you know, all that. But I just was, like, thinking about it, and it would have made semi-sense It's not really a call to a different work. It's just, like, one of those things where you're like, if the entire Earth was shaking, how come we've seen nothing else relating to the fact the entire Earth was shaking? And he's in 
London. So it's very fitting for it to have been, okay, so he happened to be in London. Well, I shouldn't say happened to be, but he is located in London where we had seen Cersei and Sprite and when they first felt that earthquake. So that was the, the only little thing for me that I was like, maybe just like a, just like a little throwaway theory that we can throw out there that might be completely inaccurate. It possibly is, but I like to at least be like, oh, maybe like something that if you weren't really thinking about it, you weren't putting it together. Yeah. I mean, I truly was not thinking about it because I immediately just was like, Conchu's messing with him and he really wants Mark to come out. Like, yeah, that was kind of my thought process. But speaking of Conchu, I had a very interesting interaction on Twitter this week with Maximilian Marvel, you guys should check them out on Twitter, where I was talking about, I think, something related to Thor and the trailer, maybe. I don't remember how the conversation got started, but they uh, were t- telling me about uh, Moon Knight's relationship with the Egyptian gods and how that actually has precedence in the comics, and they're actually kind of not related to, but they have, it sounds like, interactions with, like, Thor and, like, some of the gods of Olympus and all of those guys. Didn't I say stuff like this last week? (laughs) Yes. And so I thought that was interesting because there is a whole portion of the episode this week where they talk about, he's talking about the, uh, is it the Aeneid? I'm probably butchering that as well. Where he's talking about, oh, there should be nine gods, but there's seven. And he's, like, talking about these Egyptian gods. And what I really thought was interesting was in the course of this conversation that I had on Twitter, they were saying that one of the theories that I hadn't even thought of because I haven't even started thinking about Thor yet because I'm still in MOM and Moon Knight mode is that this is how Gore the God Butcher gets involved because he does not like gods. I don't know much about Gore the God Butcher. Not there in my research yet. But that's kind of how, you know, his whole thing gets started. And now you're bringing in more gods beyond Thor and Loki. Rest in peace, original timeline Loki. But, you know, now that they're kind of not the only gods in town, if you will, that's kind of, you know, signaling more towards Gore the God Butcher. So I thought, and I'm probably butchering that theory, but that was kind of the gist that I got of it. So I thought I'd share that with you guys because I really... Um, enjoyed that. So definitely uh, wanted to shout them out on Twitter because I was really intrigued by the information that they gave me. And that's why we love interacting with you guys, because sometimes you know things that we don't. So thank you for that one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely not thinking anything, but I did say that in the predictions episode where I did bring up the, I did not bring it to that depth, but I did bring up the whole, you know, we've seen Norse gods quite literally brought into our world. I know that the, they're like Zeus exists. Um, He is considered a superhero in Marvel comics. Which is bizarre, but hilarious. I, I know, especially growing up as a, as a Percy Jackson person. Like I Does just can Percy Jackson is canon? Real questions. It could. <laughs> I mean, All it I'm could. saying is I there's know. a live action show coming out in the next few years. Yeah. Maybe we tie that into Marvel. You know, they're all owned by Disney. Just throwing some thoughts out there. I mean, I would just say if it's canon, where were like all the other superheroes in New York when Kronos was attacking New York? Is <laughs> all I'm going to say. These are real questions. Yeah, exactly. But as we are reaching the end of this episode, let's. Look at where we think the next episode is going to go. Well, okay. This is tough because we've seen Moon Knight for a whole 15 seconds on screen. I think... Oh, I have a prediction for it. Are we, are we just doing episode two or arc, full arc of the, the show? Let's try to aim it towards episode two, but if you have something that's worth the arc, say the arc. I don't. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going small-minded by sticking to episode two. Okay. So here's what I'm thinking. Episode one... 
was very focused on Steven and was clearly told from Steven's perspective. Yeah. Give me the other side of the coin in episode two. I want to see it from Mark's perspective. Okay. Yeah. Not necessarily, obviously, the same scenes because that's a waste of an episode, but I want to see more action. Oh, well, that's not, that's true. Yeah. So for, okay. For clarification, as soon as she said that, I stuck my finger up and my mouth and went wide open and I kind of gave it a, a but look. Um, but what Katie said silently to me that I interpreted was, we don't actually see what happens when Steven, like, so we see him wake up, but we don't see what happens between when he loses control of the body. This, I feel bad for saying it that way, but, like, when he loses control... I mean, I would just use what they use... That's what I was kind of saying with the... They use the terminology in Split that a different altar take... It comes into the light. I would just maybe say that when Mark comes into the light versus Stephen, just for now. Okay, so for clarification purposes, when Mark is in the light, we don't see any of that in this episode. So, theoretically, they could just redo episode one, but from Mark's perspective. I don't think they're going to do that. It's a six-episode miniseries... So they might do some where they fill in the blanks a little bit. Yeah. Because we clearly met the villain as Mark the first time. So I think, you know, there's some some things that we're going to get there. I don't think we're going to get any of the backstory yet about Conchu. I think that's going to wait till episode three. I think we're going to continue in the present day as Mark maybe seeing a few of the scenes that we saw in episode one from Mark's perspective, but a few other scenes as well. And then I think in episode three, then we're going to learn about how he got in contact with Khonshu, how he became Moon Knight, right. and kind of all of those things as they start to kind of come together. And it's almost like he's explaining it to Steven as they're kind of sharing. This is kind of a bad way to say it. Not bad way to say it, but like not proper. But as they're kind of sharing screen time, you know, it's a little split more evenly between Mark and Steven in episode three. That's kind of my prediction, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was in that realm myself where I thought it would be very interesting to see the parts that we didn't get to see. I mean, he literally goes missing for like three days. So there's three days where Mark is very active. And I would like to see more of Mark because Mark does know what's going on. And so while, yes, we've been introduced to the villain and we kind of have an idea to them, Mark has an even bigger idea to what is going on. Obviously, he stole something that was very important to them for a reason and was on some mission for a couple days. So I definitely would like to see... I mean, I would be totally fine with them filling in those three days with Mark because that's complete backstory that I think we need to understand more of... He's Because, like, to be fair, our story starts with Steven getting brought into all of this. However... This is already, we're technically mid-story already. He's already going after bad cult leader guy. So at the end of the day, we've technically been thrown in probably around an episode three. We just are like one of the alters who we see right now as a main character who is like, haha, what? But technically, all of this has already been going on. He's clearly already trying to stop bad cult leader so i would love to get the context of what mark knows in relation to that and i also would almost really like to get the background on mark and maybe expand some of the weird things we've seen like the girl who was on the phone layla the connection that was when because she even said like what's with the accent you've been missing forever like blah 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 so i'd be intrigued to fill in some of these holes we saw as steven same as we are sitting there and you know, we're we're like, okay, this is confusing just because of how it, the show is, and that and that's fine. They've made it this way. We need to see it this way. But 
it could be very interesting because Mark is so much more aware. So he knows what's going on with Steven. Or he knows Steven exists more than anything. So I, I would really be intrigued to get more of that backstory of Mark. Because whether or not he's the, the main alter or not, he clearly is more in the know than Steven is. So to introduce us, Steven was perfect. But now I need that other half. I need to see where we're what we're up against, essentially, what he knows and where Moon Knight and the blessing of Moon Knight itself falls into all of this on top of that. Well, I think it's interesting, and and this is probably my last point that I want to make in this episode, is what's cool about opening the show with Steven, who is so clueless, (laughs) is that he's really a proxy for the audience. Yeah. He's us. Yeah. he We are just as clueless as he is because he had no idea that he was doing any of this in his sleep the same way that we never met Steven or Mark until today. So I thought that was like a really interesting idea of like making one of the alters essentially a proxy so that we're learning along with him. And you know what? It's an origin story at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, origin stories for an, an unfortunate but can be fortunate way fall into a very particular pattern. And this shook it up. I think the character, obviously, is more interesting than some of the ones that we've gotten as origin stories, just because less people are aware of the character, so it's just more interesting to learn more about them. I mean, personally, I, like, I almost said I love Iron Man, but I like Iron Man. We don't say (laughs) those words in this house. (laughs) I know, I know. I, I just meant more of the, you know, I like the character a lot, but I knew of them. And so the origin story was like, okay, I know what's kind of happening here. So Moon Knight already going into this, having no clue, <laughs> essentially. And then on top of that, we're essentially thrown, like I said, into the middle of a story. Yeah. And we're just as confused as Steven is. Exactly. Well, I am fresh out for episode one. That is all of the things that I kind of clocked while watching. How about you, Kate? Any last questions, comments, or concerns? I guess one more. And it is the premise of the weird, like, skull thing. <laughs> What was that? The thing with the staff? Yeah, with the, like, beaky thing. I think that's Khonshu. Okay. I I was just a little confused, because then we saw the weird monster thing later on as well. So I kind of was like, where are we going? Like, I was just a little lost. Yeah, I think the beak thing with the staff is Khonshu. Gotcha. Okay. That's all I needed to say and ask. (laughs) Just for anyone else who might have needed clarification. Awesome. Well, that is a wrap on episode one of Moon Knight. It has been a fun ride so far, and I know we're both looking forward to next week and the rest of the series. As always, if you would like to keep up with us as we keep up with Moon Knight or whatever show or movie is coming out, like Morbius this weekend, which everybody should go check out, you should subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You can also check out our blog, which has supplemental content, things that we forgot, and clarifications to things that we said on the podcast that maybe weren't totally correct. Or essentially made no sense. (laughs) Also that. So go there for a little bit more uh, thought-out content. Not that this isn't, but you guys know what we mean. A little (laughs) less off the cuff. So you can check out the blog there, which is linked in the show notes for easy convenience. You can also check us out on Spotify. The link is also in the show notes. We have playlists there for each of the shows. So if you're binging a specific show and would like to find the corresponding episodes of our show to go with it, you can find playlists for those, as well as a specific playlist for any episodes of ours relating to movies. 
and one specific playlist for all of the songs in the MCU shows and movies. So if you're in an MCU mood but you don't want to listen to us, you can put that on for a little bit of MCU vibes and uh, check it out there. Yeah, and last but not least, and as Taylor's story goes to show, definitely follow us on Twitter. Our official podcast Twitter is Let's Talk MFT, but we also have our personal Twitters, which I will make sure are in this week's blog, just in case you guys want to check those out as well. I know we still talk Marvel on there, but remember, those are our personal Twitters, so to be fair, (laughs) there's some other things too, but (laughs) we love interacting with you guys, so make sure you follow the main one along with both of our personal ones, because we will be posting our theories, retweeting, liking all sorts of stuff and to taylor's point about her story we interact with you guys whether you want to interact on our main one or with us personally dms are open and we love to hear your thoughts your theories everything so definitely go make sure you guys are following those and as moon knight is here morbius is here and we're literally like a month out from mom make sure you're staying up with all of marvel's content on top of all of our content since there's so much happening right now but marvel just blew your mind so let's talk about it 